Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk, turning woodworkers into knitters since 2007. Here are your hosts. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it is Wood Talk number 456 for February 11th, 2019. On today's show, we have got so many topics to cover, so many questions, voicemails. We're basically playing catch up because as you mostly, uh, most of you probably know, we took a very long hiatus. Uh, so we've got a little bit of a backlog to answer. Uh, we also have something we haven't done in a long time, and that's uh, have a special guest on the show. So believe it or not, Mr. Matt Vanderlist... Our previous uh, co-host, my co-creator of this show, is back today to join us for the entire show. Welcome to Wood Talk again, Matt. Oh, thank you very much. Now, who's the special guest going to be on? I didn't see that in the list. Uh, Chris Schwartz will also be here later to join us. I was really hoping for Mary May. Oh, my God. Oh, Oh, uh, Matt's woodworking crush. What are you going to do? It's like no time has passed at all. (laughs) Right to the Mary May jokes and the chortling. It's uh, it's like you never left, my friend. It's not a joke, Mark. (laughs) That's right. It's not. (laughs) And I've got the document to prove it. (laughs) Uh, It's just a restraining order. It's, It's no big yeah. deal. It's just a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, all right. So look, we're going to get right to the action here because we just have so much stuff to cover. Uh, what's on the bench? Well, it's been a little while and uh, I've been the one to delay the the starting up of the show, of course, because that's what I do. Uh, but you know, it's been a busy time. We had a book launch, a whole pre-order campaign for the new essential joinery book that took place. Uh, and trying to organize all this stuff is like, you know, just a two, three person business that we are. It's, it's super challenging. So I needed all the time to, uh, to work that stuff out. Um, but you know, woodworking wise, I've been working on a refinishing job and those are always fun. Uh, so my brother-in-law moved into a new house. His family just moved in like two days ago and the, the house just needs a little bit of work. And I wanted to help them with the floors. They have a very small hardwood floor area that needed some work. And I sat down with a Rotex and I'm like, look, if I can get this finish up, I might be able to do something just to make an inexpensive fix that just looks better. Um, something better than what it was. I took the Rotex and some 60 grit to this stuff and holy cow is hardwood flooring finish a oh, yeah. difficult thing to remove. 
Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> it was bulletproof. Uh, the, the Rotex was just skidding on top, not even, like, in the, in the areas that it was worn, the worst parts, yeah, that was definitely something I could get down to bare wood. But as soon as I got off of that, as and I kind of suspected this, so um, as soon as I got off of that, that finish is just hardcore. And it, I was like, all right, you got to call in a pro. There's no way I could do this with my equipment. <laughs> So, my dinky little sander. Yeah, my dinky little Rotex. I've got Rotex mode. Watch this. You know, it's like, well, well my, my question is, which, which sandpaper were you using? Were you using the Raul or the Javier? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it was the Bejeweled um, okay. one that oh, Festival yeah. sells. Oh, the Bedazzled. The Bedazzled one. Um, yeah, so. What he, you need is to call on the pros, an army of Rottweilers. We'll just take that finish off in seconds. Yeah, exactly. That would be good. Um, but, you know, I felt a little bit bad because I wanted to do something special for them before they moved in. And uh, their front door needed a little bit of love. So I decided to take on that job of completely stripping all of the gooey, disgusting old latex paint, uh, getting all that stuff out of there and putting on some some fresh coats and making it look new. So that job took about five days and it was really the worst decision I've made, at, le- <laughs> at least in, in 2018 and 2019. Uh, that's the the funny thing, guys. That's the job that you cannot pay me enough to do. Uh, mm-hmm. And and this is oddly enough, it's family, so there is no money changing hands for a job like this. <laughs> and that's the only people I would do it for is family because it's such a crappy uh, type of work. I don't enjoy that at all. So glad to be done with it. Well, the number one gift I can ever give to family, especially in a scenario like that, is just not to show up. In fact, usually that's the thing they ask is just don't come over. Just stay away. Yeah, we don't really need your help. So, right. Yeah, you cause way more harm than good. Yeah. So that was uh, that's what was going on for me. Shannon, what do you have? Uh, I've been uh, playing with my Chevrolet, you know, making some. Well, let's call a spade a spade making bad marquetry <laughs> yeah <laughs> a bit of a um bit more of a learning curve than i anticipated I, I shouldn't say that it's just the body mechanics are totally different than like free handing with a fret saw mm-hmm. like probably someone like yourself mark that's used to working with like power tools that ride on linear tracks and things like that might right. be okay this has actually been just the opposite trying to like force my body to follow this track you know, That's so it, it, it's been fun. Um, <laughs> messed up quite a bit of veneer. Fortunately, I've got a whole bunch of walnut veneer from a, a job that <clears throat> I don't even know what went wrong with that job. But somebody over ordered a bunch of walnut veneer at the <laughs> office. So I've got more <laughs> walnut veneer than I possibly will ever I'm use in like three air lifetimes. Quotes. Over ordered. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Oops. I guess I'll take well, this. I can honestly was, say I was not in charge of that ordering. So yeah. Was it twenty percent you over order or two hundred and fifty? I can't remember. <laughs> Probably should go with the larger. You know, in in all seriousness, in like the commercial professional world, the whole like when we say order twenty percent more. In the professional world, it's more like order 80% over. Mm-hmm. It's just ridiculous. Like the sheer overage that people will order in case things happen. Yeah. Oh, man. It's it's kind of disturbing. So anyway, I've been playing around with that. But then I also um, I got a bunch of American chestnut. It's kind of a weird impulse buy. I got an email from one of the online guys that I've worked with in the past. It's like, we came into a whole bunch of American chestnut. And I was like, you know what? That sounds interesting. So I actually, the guy who works at a lumber yard bought lumber online. You know, why not? God forbid. And I know. <laughs> what's up with that? But I got to say, this stuff is awesome. Like, what a shame that three billion yeah. trees died at the, at the you know turn of the 20th century. Because, wow, I really like working with it. And I normally do not like oak. 
And when you when you first look at it, you're like, oh, it's red oak, mm-hmm. eh, red oak with a little bit more character to it. But mm-hmm. man, the working properties of it is awesome. So, yeah, I just got to keep an eye out for anybody who has American chestnut because it's it's fun stuff to work. With. How much did you get? Uh, about 60, 65 board feet. No, that's not too bad. No. Okay. Trying to yeah, decide just if you, enough, just enough for the project that I'm, that I'm working on. I was going to say, so. trying to decide if it's enough for me to drive out and just steal some from you. Cause, <laughs> cause it sounds like it'd be fun to work with. That's a heck of a drive. Yeah, it is probably not worth it. Yeah, just I'll, a quick turnaround. I'll just there get some red with that. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. So he, this, this is what I'm, uh, on 70 and get off. That's true. It's just a, just a straight run. Um, one thing I'm really interesting in, in hearing here is Matt's little uh, excursion to, uh, to Texas yeah. recently, <laughs> which sounded like a blast. I mean, overall, definitely a blast. Also very stressful. Like, <laughs> we, we had a good time in the evenings, and I'm pretty sure that was like a requirement because I would have died mentally and physically otherwise. Yeah. Like, during the days, it's just like, all right, let's get everything going. Let's make sure everything's going the right direction. Nobody make any mistakes. Nobody do anything wrong. We have a tight deadline here. The internet wants to see this thing running. We promised them. We have people saying it's not going to happen. We got to get this thing spinning up and cutting some logs. So it was a, uh, it was very stressful. Okay, so back it up a little bit in case anyone listening doesn't know what we're talking about. What did you do? Does Where April, did you go? Does April actually have a bullwhip? Like was she motivating you all, with, or just or just a bullhorn? Yeah, he's got the he's got the scabs to prove she, it. She played a good foreman on on Instagram anyway. I just saw her dictating like the whole time. You know, get to work. It's great. But it's funny. She just like listens to what I say and then just copies it for the Instagram posts. Like <laughs> verbatim what I tell people. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of looks like she knows what the, she's formanning. Is that a word? Formanning. For 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 womaning for womaning for womaning that's even better <laughs> for personing for personing for person there you go so yeah whoever doesn't know I went down to visit April in her shop for well I was there for what six days and we mm-hmm. built my giant bandsaw mill thing down there um, it was the first one as far as I know of that is built using my plans like pretty much completely there's a few people who have started on the build no one has gotten that far to the point where they've been able to cut a log so. April, uh, when was that? And at IWF, April's like, hey, we think we'll make them all these big saws at my shop. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, we can do that. And then <laughs> thinking it'll never happen. You have only yeah. yourself to blame on this. Now. <laughs> sounds like a great idea. That's exactly. It. That's exactly. I'm like, yeah. yeah, sure, that sounds fine. And then like, she started ordering the stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I better book my trip now. Yeah. <laughs> So this must have been a lot of pressure because she's she's using your manual to do this. Uh-huh. So as a proof of concept for this thing that you're selling, this instruction manual, this thing better work. Yeah. Were there ever any moments when you're going through the instructions, you're like, yeah, that diagram's not right. Who put that together? How did that get? That's not right. No, I should Damn it, Dima. There were surprisingly few issues. Like I, I have one part number I need to update, which was for a bellows, which is not that important. Mm-hmm. And there's a few things where things can be a little bit clearer. But there's no like totally incorrect things That's good. like take you down the wrong path. So that was super refreshing to get to that point. But like the the whole week was like one of these like, you know, everything could possibly go wrong went wrong a little bit. So we definitely had a lot of holdups and a lot of delays as we were building. Like the first two days we built the whole bed and the whole carriage. And then we started getting into the saw head and like little details weren't quite right because one of the biggest um, things was you couldn't I, get it out of the shed. That was <laughs> it's that too was big. Also incredibly, that <laughs> minor took a lot detail. Longer than I was hoping. 
that tractor can't pick quite as much as they uh, said it could. Oh, so we had that going. Uh, that's why if you see me floating around the internet as a counterweight, that's uh, that's why. You need a little <laughs> more weight in the backside of that tractor, tipping over. <laughs> they needed exactly sixty pounds, so it just it worked out. <laughs> it, was, it was the perfect amount, sixty pounds, out four feet from the fulcrum. You know, Hop up there, exactly man. We uh, just need another ten first, pounds. Go drop them in water. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, were there There's any? Be a little addendum released to the plans. Please add one Cremona as counterweight. <laughs> yeah, one Cremona's worth. <laughs> Were, were there any um, headbutting moments or difficulties? I mean, because obviously four independent people, each with their own skill set, come together to build something as one. It doesn't always go as smooth as you might think. Um, were there any difficulties with that in, in like ways to do things? And uh, I, I mean, I'm not looking for drama. I'm just like. Uh, there were, actually, I think because no one knew exactly what the hell they were doing. Like yeah. they didn't really like the, the probably the most the, like the, the interesting most interesting part of the whole process was as the week was going on the well i guess mostly johnny and april they're doing a lot of little tiny components where it's like they're making something like i don't know what this is or where it goes or what's supposed to do <laughs> yeah, i'm making a but part. then when it gets installed on the on the machine they're like oh that that makes sense now yeah, okay that's where that goes so that, that was kind of interesting in that sense but i mean there wasn't like a whole lot of like i want to do it this way i want right. to do that it was like matt how did you do this let's get going here cool just no, get the job done. It wasn't that bad. So uh, I, I had a great time because um, JD was there. And he's like a professional fabricator and welder. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much stuff watching him work. He, It's just crazy to see someone who does it every day. And you can see just the efficiency that they work at and how quickly they can knock things out and the little things that they do to make the process so much easier. Sure. And more, I don't know, you get a lot better results, a little bit easier. It's just, It's just cool. It was really cool working alongside with him. Awesome. For sure. So how, how did you like leave it? What, how much more does she have to do? She got a lot of little things to do. So on that, on that last day, we're like, it was a really crappy day as far as, the, as far as the weather went. So we just got the wheels installed. We basically just got the blade tracking on the band wheels. They still have to finish up the lift system. One of the things we're missing was like, so the, I was, I was going into this a little bit ago, but one of the main things that was different with her mill is, the wheels that I have, they weren't they weren't they wouldn't have been able to get there till March. So mm-hmm. she had to find a different supplier. So I sent her on to this other supplier that makes like the wheels that she got are small for what they usually make. Mm-hmm. They make like six foot diameter head rig um, wheels for like giant Jeez. like industrial mills. <laughs> yeah. Like that kind of thing. So the stuff they sent, though like the drive wheel, both my wheels are the same. The one just has a different they said different bearing assemblies. And my wheels are maybe like 80 pounds or so. Her drive was like 250 pounds. It's <laughs> solid steel. And it came with these ridiculous roller bearings, which you get a need for something that big. So the bearings themselves plus the wheels, or that one wheel on the one side, is like another 400 pounds oh, compared to mine. So the lift mechanism that I had specced was for the weight of the saw head that <laughs> I made. So, like, there's no way this motor is going to lift this saw head. Mm-hmm. So, like, okay, we got to change these sprockets out. And they're, like, the one on the on the motor is metric. So, we had to send someone all the way to San Antonio to get a, <laughs> a metric sprocket. <laughs> and that didn't come until, like, Thursday morning. We're like, it's cold. It's crappy. We just want to get this thing running. Yeah. We're not going to worry about that right now. So, the, the <laughs> wasn't, wasn't, wasn't John Candy in this movie? <laughs> to go and find a sail. Drove up and down the coast. <laughs> Classic 80s flick. Oh, it felt that way. It felt that way. There's a couple of times like, all right, let's go send someone out and we'll sit here. Um, 
I, I won't say that I won't use the terminology that April used because it's kind of inappropriate, but you know, we're standing here with, you know, something in our hands, just standing around, you know, wow. Some anatomical partner. Go April. Jeez. <laughs> Go April. Wow. <laughs> awesome. Alrighty then. Yeah, we got, we got it cutting and we didn't have time to put the blade guards on either. Cause like the Uber for Johnny and me were, was coming in 20 minutes. We finally got the blade tracking. We're like, screw it. We're doing it live. Yeah, we just, go for it. I hit the button, turn it on. We had the carriage tied up to a rope so we could pull it through from like 30 or 40 that feet was, away. That was just truly the most awesome part for me. <laughs> Ghetto fabulous advancement mechanism. <laughs> just yeah. hold her a rope. Just pull that like, sucker. I like, there's it. no way I can I can advise anyone to stand anywhere near this thing yeah. without those guards on there. <laughs> oh. like the, drone. the drone's filming. Everyone's backed <laughs> off to escape this Fired up. I feel like I'm listening to like a, a, a scene from the uh, like uh, Gold Rush or something where like you know one of the crews is just like we're gonna we're gonna bush fix this right now. No, everybody step back. I just I just needed an Instagram clip of like April going hold my beer and hitting the button and, just, <laughs> and then taking off running. Oh, now I'm curious where because obviously you know the the change in the drive wheels totally changes so many other things like a domino oh, yeah. effect downhill. Why did it? Why was it taking so long for the drive wheels, the original ones? You said they couldn't get there till March or something. Is that is first of all, is that a long time? Um, or I'm gonna I mean, go ahead, I'm gonna go I'm, order this. I'm gonna go ahead and say it's the Matt Cremona effect. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> everybody wants know, their I mean, uh, their wheels. Usually, they have them when I bought mine, they were on the shelf, so it was like right. I got it like within a week, but apparently, they got lead time on these things now. Or they sell one every 10 years and you bought that one set. <laughs> that's probably exactly. like, <laughs> So now they have the bottom of these things. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. Uh, it's, that's a heck of an endeavor. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I was very impressed watching the whole thing come together. So very cool. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you were Watch. impressed. Yeah. All I wanted. That, that I generally <laughs> that is impressed by the karaoke later in the evening. Oh man, <laughs> Johnny <laughs> Johnny Brook loves the karaoke like to a, to a ridiculous extent. Like it's ridiculous. That's funny. <laughs> no, admit it. You actually took like one or two cotter pins with you that they're probably searching for right now <laughs> and like freaking out. Something's gonna fall off, right? You just yep. just for the effect. Probably, yeah. Well. I think they'll be fine. <laughs> I think they'll have their there's, Cremona there's, head. How many there's Cremona head stickers did you subtly slap in places? I totally forgot them. Like I, I oh. forgot everything. I was too busy trying to like make sure I had everything. And like the, the week before I left, like I had to be ahead, so I was, I had to get two guild videos done the, the week before I left, right. as well as everything else, and make sure that they had everything that they needed. So when I got there, we had everything. So it was a, it was a lot of lead up time. Yeah. That's, that's this is where crazy. your life has become, Matt. You're basically just doing everyone else's bidding. <laughs> you go down to Texas to build a bandsaw mill. Meanwhile, Mark is like, come on, kid. Give me some videos. Yeah, let's, do some, videos. let's do the thing that's actually paying you money. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> pay, pay for this trip somehow. All right. So let's switch gears, pun intended, from uh, one Matt to the other. So Vanderlist, what, uh, I, I know you're focused on work and, and family stuff these days, but anything going on in the shop? <laughs> Well, so actually, we were kind of joking around this earlier. Uh, I was just looking at the last time I posted a video, and it was about a year ago right now. And coincidentally, I was starting to work on another video. So I'm trying to wrap up my yearly video. Nice. So, yeah, I think it should be ready in two, uh, 2020 for certain. I've got a couple more <laughs> things i got to put in there, see what's going on with it. But, uh, yeah, shop time is, is kind of limited. I'm doing a lot of small things. Like what I actually ended up building for this video was a, a bed bench because as Samantha and I 
I have both discovered, we're very short people and beds tend to be <laughs> tall these days. And it's hard to put your socks on when you're constantly <laughs> falling off the edge of the bed. Yeah. So yeah, I can see that. You know, I made one that's about the right size for us. And uh, amazingly, my hip doesn't hurt as much anymore when I'm trying to put my socks on and I haven't fallen in quite a while. So, you know, it, it's things like that. And then uh, there's yeah, a couple other little builds where it's like, hey, can, can, can you just make a quick one of these so that we have it? And I'm like, sure. What is that? You know, things. <laughs> so really, but before then, the extent of my shop time was just me walking in going, you know, where's that one screwdriver that I used to use? It's somewhere <laughs> over here. And it's amazing how the piles <clears throat> still build up on all the uh, all the equipment, even though I'm not using it. Sure. So there's just no need to clear it off now. You just right. can keep building on it. You, know, right. you, you give me yeah. an idea talking about like your hips hurting. And I see you posting about like running and having shin splints and, and like just issues oh, yes. for getting old. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's a new podcast idea is just like a couple of us getting together to complain about our aches and pains as we get older. <laughs> yeah, we, we can call it what hurts today. Yeah. Like we're, we're in that, we're in that stage of life where stuff hurts for no reason and you just yes. deal with it. I mean, Matt, um, Cremona, you can't join this show for a while. Um, I think you're still too young. <laughs> But having having three I kids, can give, I can give perspective, a younger perspective. There you go. And well, I'll tell you what, though, dude, you have three, you're going to have three well, kids. Basically, need somebody young to blame. So, mm. well, hey, you got to blame go. the millennials. Get off my lawn. We, yeah. we could almost be like, you know, now this is hurting on me and I think this may be the cause. So, <laughs> yeah. Matt, don't do this and let us know in a couple of years if I was right. <laughs> there you okay. go. All right. So, hey, believe it or not, we actually do have some some uh, show content here. Uh, what? Yeah, we've got this was a content. There is a lot here, in fact. Um, so first one we've got is a uh, what's new sent in to us from Jacob. He says, if you haven't seen Craftsmanship, I'm sorry. Yeah, if you haven't seen Craftsmanship that made you question your existence lately, here's a Japanese watchmaker that does work uh, that'll make you quit woodworking altogether. Dear God. So we'll put oh, a link well. uh, in the show notes for this one. This is impressive stuff. It is a... From what I gathered, I didn't watch the whole thing. It's like a 50-minute-long documentary. Uh, but it is a 35-year-old watchmaker who is trying to take a, sort of a model of a classic masterpiece clock construction and work it down into a wristwatch format. And the level of precision and the sizes of the parts uh, where the smallest gear in this thing, I think the diameter is less than a millimeter, uh, and, and he's, he's, he's working on that level where most of the things he's holding, he's got to use tweezers and a jeweler's loop to look at these things. It's insane. So you, it's definitely worth the watch. Um, but we'll put the link in the that. question is, oh, is, I get he it. Wearing, worth- is he wearing an Apple watch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most likely. Right up. Oh, got to do my, oh, I have to stand. My watch just told me to stand. <laughs> got to get my stretch. stands for today. And yes, uh, uh, Matt, I did actually. Uh, say the word watch, and I think yes. you, you caught that. So yeah, yeah, worth the watch. Pun. I see what you're doing. Another there. pun, second Tying pun for the together. day. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's it from Jacob. So thanks for sending that in, Jacob. That was a really fun watch. <laughs> again, oh. again, right, right in there again. Wow, right. Way to, yeah. way to wind that up. Mark. <laughs> oh, zing. <laughs> anyway, great timing. You used to have to wine watches. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He gets it. He knows. He and knows and wear them too. <clears throat> yeah, right. <laughs> well, 
I, I threw something in because this was just brought to my attention that the Brown tool sale and auction is coming back end of March. I'm not that it's like it's been anywhere. It comes every March. But in York, PA, this show travels around. But uh, in another month or so, it's going to be in York, PA. And this is if you're into vintage tools, this is one of the fun places to go. If only to go, you know, if you don't want to go to the tool sale and pick some stuff up on Friday, go and look at the auction and see the stuff that you will never be able to afford, the things that are just purely meant to be collectibles and never, wow. never ever will be sharpened or touch wood ever again because it would devalue this several million dollar piece of, of artwork. I can't you know, wait things, to see that rich says do that. Right, right. There, there are truly some gorgeous tools made out of things that we should all be ashamed of, but you know they're still beautiful, <laughs> like solid ivory plow yeah, plane. You know, you 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 want to be mad at it, but you're like, man, that's gorgeous. <laughs> oh, it's so wrong. It's so wrong. It's so good. So, that's that's coming up. And actually, I'll be there. I'll be there on Friday for the tool sale because I'm I I have a rendezvous with a tool dealer to pick up some um, timber framing stuff. <clears> so, uh, it should be fun. So, coming out to York, Pennsylvania, scenic York, PA. Interesting. I have some March clients 29. there. Mm-hmm. So maybe I should yeah, I see? should make it for a long weekend in, make and a be visit. like, so what are you staying in town for? Uh, the tools. I need to get something ivory-ish. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so let's get into a little bit of kickback here. Uh, first one came in from Greg. He says, big fan of the show and each of your work. As a new woodworker, I really enjoyed the conversation about rite of passage projects, though it would be hard for me to refer to them as anything other than don't tell me what to do projects. I needed to build a bench in the last year after getting started and didn't want to spend a ton of time or money in case I got tired of woodworking and decided to pursue my true passion of needlepoint. I grabbed some home center lumber, picked uh, through the racks, found some good stuff for the base, and I was stumped when it came time to settle for the material for the top since I didn't want to spend a bunch of time and money only to fall back on knitting as my path to (laughs) self-actualization. My dad suggested calling around local cabinet and kitchen remodel shops to see if anyone had offcuts of wooden countertops. Literally, one call and I had six and a half foot long, two foot wide, two inch thick piece of black acacia. I won't say the price since it was so damn cheap that the guys at the shop asked me to keep it quiet, lest their paying customers find out about the markup on this stuff. <clears throat> it's dead flat, hard, heavy enough, and is working awesome. The whole bench came together quickly and got me into making stuff, which is the whole point for me anyway. I guess my point is that there are a bunch of solutions to any problem. Since I have a lunch, uh, I have a lunchbox planer, no jointer, and wasn't ready to flatten a whole bench top with a hand plane, it made more sense for me to buy a solution to a particular problem so this is an old email he says happy holidays thanks for the content and inspiration greg here you go nothing wrong with that guys no no absolutely not i can think of a few projects where i'm like you know i could do this big chunk of it by hand or i could just buy it pre-made we're ready to go let's do it yeah just be done with it done all right shannon i think you got the next one i like that this is from andrew he says a minor kickback think of it as a stub toe instead of a board through the sternum I I loved Shannon's review of composite decking manufacturer. We built a 500 square foot fiber on deck this summer at Club Ted. It's in quotes. I don't don't know. His name is Ted. Ted His name is Ted. You said Andrew. That's that's the next one. There it is. (laughs) So he's it's his club. (laughs) He's like, that makes no sense whatsoever. (laughs) Why would Andrew have Club Ted? (laughs) Right. That's his nickname, Ted. (laughs) He's got a great selection of plans, I hear. It's his middle name, actually. (laughs) (laughs) all right reset anyway club ted the results were great even my father-in-law said it didn't suck like most of the work i do (laughs) 
My kickback comes from the or when the discussion turned to other applications. I was shocked. Shocked, I say, at the amount of expansion the deck boards go through on a daily basis with temp- temperature fluctuations. My wife didn't really like the gaps I left for expansion purposes. I actually read the instructions. You can suspend my man card. <laughs> and followed them when it came to expansion gaps. I'm sure glad I did because we placed them tight. They would have expanded. We we. Had we placed them tight, they would have expanded right into each other daily, which wouldn't have been good for the long term. My guess is they still have some work to do in this regard before you can count on composite structurally or even for other woodworking projects. Love the show, Ted. That's a really good point. And I don't think anyone will ever tell you that these composite things are meant to be structural. That they all require um, some sort of structure underneath them. Like all the cladding has to be laid over something um, whether it be furring strips, the, of course, the deck, you know, has got to be a little over a, a joist system. And the, the, the substructure itself is what does the, you know, the heavy lifting, literally. Um, but, yeah, um, expansion and contraction, although most of the time I think the expansion and contraction of that stuff happens longitudinally, which is what really throws us as woodworkers off. Yeah, no kidding. You don't, we don't even think that way. <laughs> yeah, which, I didn't know that. I, w- I don't even remember where it was. Oh, um, Ocean City, Maryland. And there was a... Uh, like a, a rail coming up off of a boardwalk and they had laid composite boards along the railing and obviously had butted them up. And as they got into the sun, they expanded lengthwise and they started to bow out, which interestingly enough made a really cool like scalloped effect. So at first I thought, Oh cool. What a neat detail. <laughs> what a cool <laughs> installation. No, no, no. That's buckling. No, no, Not no. Not supposed to look like that, but you know, happy accident. No, but no, yeah, no. <laughs> the, the expansion across the width, that's, that's interesting. Oh. Um, because it's actually not supposed to do a whole lot of that. Well, I mean, this, this stuff isn't real wood, so there isn't a grain direction necessarily. Is this stuff more like MDF in terms of it being this ubiquitous mixture of material, right? I'm, I'm guessing yeah. there's no directionality. Yeah, the, the wood flower, that's what makes it a composite, is there is a wood flower core, okay. and then it's an ethylene cap. Which seems um, like so, it, well, it would make I mean, sense. PVC, true PVC expands longitudinally <laughs> um, rather than across the, the short axis. So the ethylene and the, you know, mixing all that stuff together, um, you know, I can tell you they've done a hell of a lot of testing on this stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, good, good for you, Ted, Andrew, whatever your name is, for <laughs> actually reading the instructions because – these guys, like, they take that stuff seriously because they're tired of getting sued. Yeah. So they put together all <laughs> kinds of instructions that you really do need to follow because they have done more testing on this stuff. Having just walked through their their quality control and their testing laboratories and watching them, like, break stuff and melt stuff, which was just way cool, um, they have more data on the behavior of this stuff than any any wood manufacturer ever could because it's organic. You know, that you, you can't possibly... Uh, predict what one board is going to do to the next because they're organic uh, pieces. This stuff, while it has organic parts in it, you know, the parts per million of every single ingredient and polymer and additive is is well-documented. So for the most part, they do know how it's going to move. So yeah, you got to follow the instructions. Is there anything that you know of in the manufacturing process that imparts a a difference in expansion across the width versus the length? Because if it is like uniformly expanding and proportionally expanding, you would have to expect that across the length, that's where you're going to see the majority of expansion as opposed to right. the width, right? Percentage perspective. Wouldn't that right. make sense? I, I don't know how it's made, so I don't know if there is something else they're doing uh, to to cut back on how much it actually expands across the length. 
I don't know. It's interesting stuff, though. Um, but yeah, yeah. It seems well, like I a mean, long... I can tell you that the the ingredients <laughs> are all like, you know, industrial secrets. You know, for right, one manufacturer right. or another. All proprietary. Like, no one in the building knows the whole recipe, so like you have to kill <laughs> off like you know, kidnap like seven people to get the full yeah. recipe. So good stuff. All right, we got one voicemail. Colonel Spices. No one knows. That's right. Uh, One voicemail here from Andrew on, uh, let's see, it's a scrub plane kickback. From Club Andrew. Hey, guys. Andrew from (laughs) Illinois. Just had a quick kickback about the last episode. Mark sells his scrub plane. Uh, Shannon mentioned something about buying a number four Buck Brothers from Home Depot uh, and then just grinding the iron on that. I actually did just that. Um, Just bought a, a cheap, I think it was $20 plane from home depot um and then i bought a wood river uh, a new wood river iron for it and ground that with the radius on it and it works just fine um i think the whole thing cost me about 40 45 dollars with shipping um so that is a good option if the guy that called in wasn't interested in buying a vintage plane and, and having to do any type of rust removal or anything like that so just a, a quick kickback thanks for the great show keep it up guys Cool beans. Thanks, Andrew. And uh, now we could do everyone's favorite segment. Everybody. Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. (laughs) It's cold. Yeah. Oh, Lord. I, I love the fact that this has become such a favorite update, our favorite segment. I get more emails saying, we want to hear more of that. And I'm always like, what do you want to hear? Like, well, dude, know. this it's is your spinoff. interesting juxtaposition for somebody that like, you know, that's my job, yeah. you know, and, and <laughs> work my, is, is truly a four letter word sometimes, you know, and it's like, you really find this stuff interesting. And like the, the, like the most mundane things, people are like, wow, that's fascinating. You should talk about that. It's like, I just did. What more do you want me to say? <laughs> that's, so this is say. your spinoff show opportunity, man. People would dig it. There we go. Yeah. Well, um, out of the hundreds and some emails that I get a day, probably 80% of them have been people sending me this link saying, have you heard that the cold is going to kill the emerald ash borer bug? Well, not so much. Oh, um, man. Why are you going to ruin wah, it, wah, Shannon? Come on. Sorry. I'm just going to cut right to the chase there. Um, <clears throat> fact of the matter is, yes, there will be some emerald ash borer mortality. There has been. <laughs> Um, because when the temperatures get that cold, it's killing off just about everything. The problem is, um, A, what kind of insulating properties are there inside the tree itself? Because it's not like the bugs are just hanging out on the bark. You know, ooh, look, Vern, here comes a cold front. No, they're like, that's why they're called emerald ash borers, burrowing insects. Anybody else cold? (laughs) They're inside the tree, so it's not quite as cold inside the tree as it is outside. But the other issue is prolonged cold. It's got to be butt-ass cold for Many days, like at least 48 to 72 hours before you can expect the larva to be really hurt. What is now, the uh, Fahrenheit equivalent of butt-ass cold? I was going to say, uh, what is that? Yeah, because so Sam always says that when I back up to her when we're sleeping, my butt is freezing. <laughs> so is that, that is butt-ass butt cold. Ass cold? <laughs> I only know the Kelvin equivalent. I'm not sure the Celsius. Okay, okay. Was Celsius. So the, the, the fact is, is, yes, some of the bugs were killed because it was – but ass cold in many places in the Midwest. But in, in a lot of places, it was cold for like a day. 
And then it got back into like negative 20, you know, and then it got back up to zero. Um, other days, you know, it was really cold for, for a week and there was probably a lot of bug mortality there. The problem with these, with these boring insects is their spread rate. I mean, they don't call it a blight because it's just four trees up in, you know, your backyard and the spread from one tree to another is so fast and so hard to control, that's what's causing the emerald ash borer to be an issue. So in those pockets where it was really, really cold, it was not that cold here in Maryland. And guess what? We have emerald ash borers, lots of them. You know, New England was the same way. It did not get to negative 40 degrees in New England. It didn't get to negative 40 degrees in Southern Ohio. And now I think, I don't know the total, the accurate numbers now, but the quarantine is something like 38 to... 39 states now have an emerald ash borer quarantine. Same thing with a thousand canker for walnuts. So <clears throat> I I went ahead and actually did some research this time. Attaboy. And I called uh, <laughs> the folks that do our inspections. And here's the, here's the other thing. Whether the bugs were killed off or not, they don't care. The inspectors don't care because the only thing they will accept is a fumigation and heat, heat treatment certificate. Cold, in their opinion, is not good enough. Because the bugs can actually survive in really, really bad cold. Some can survive longer than others. What they can't survive is 220 to 230 degrees Fahrenheit for 48 hours. You know, 100% mortality in that particular case, which is why that is now the industry standard to have a heat treatment certificate on these. Um, and in some instances, actual chemical fumigation. In order to ship the lumber across state lines from one quarantine state to the other, you must have a heat treatment and fumigation certificate. So it doesn't matter if the bugs were killed in there. The only way to get across state lines is to smuggle it across state lines. No one's going to, there's no way to legally move this stuff around. And that's how they're trying to control the spread. But unfortunately, the only way to kill them off by cold is, is is a solution that we don't want. It's called an ice age and probably wouldn't be real happy. <laughs> oh, with I'm that. looking forward to that. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, 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 you know, I was really excited when I started seeing these articles and I started reading and I thought that doesn't sound right. So I did actually call some people yeah. who get paid to certify this stuff. And they said, I don't, I don't care whether they kill them off or not. I'm not taking it unless it's a heat treatment certificate. I have completely lost respect for you. The fact that you did research that is I know, disgusting. Right? It's horrible. <laughs> I don't want to ever hear that he's really, word again. He's really trying to set <laughs> up his own podcast again. here. <laughs> uh, well, so I have actually a couple of follow-up questions for you. One, shouldn't we change it uh, to bug ash cold uh, <laughs> instead? And then um, number two, when you said the, the heat treatment, now I'm assuming that means that's the actual lumber that's been cut up when it goes to the mill. You're not putting giant tents up around all these trees and then trying to bring the atmosphere up to that temperature. No, no okay. it's sawn boards, you know, okay. and the heat treatment happens in the kiln drying process. Ah. So it's dried through the normal um, schedule, the normal kiln schedule. Then once it cools down, <laughs> then you raise the temperature well above your normal kiln drying standards, but you have to do it really slowly mm. so you don't case harden the stuff and you've got to lower it really slowly. So it's, okay. it adds a substantial amount of time to that, which obviously is why you're seeing prices on a lot of these lumbers go up because – there's a, a lot more work and a lot more time before that material is ready for market. In the fumigation process, it's done in the same, well, not in the kiln, because kilns are not airtight, not in the slightest. So you could fumigate a kiln and then you would also fumigate the whole neighborhood. <laughs> so those are done in, in specialty areas, you know, where like, you are essentially tinting off a bunch of stuff and pumping in all kinds of fun, nasty. So, so actually, is, I don't know. I don't know that it's nasty. I don't know what they're using. So. 
Is there any reason to think that this, uh, the cold snap might slow anything down with the progression of, of what we're seeing? I really don't think so. I just, I don't think it was cold enough, long enough in a wide enough area to really make a bit of difference. And it, and it's, it's really a shame, you know, but here's the other thing is those bugs have gone in and they bored holes and things, which is like a big flashing neon sign, you know, Hey bugs, here's ready to move in. You know, (laughs) everybody's dead in here. Come, come squat for a while. So yeah, I, I think that, uh, I think any any mortality we saw will be taken up, you know, in the spring and the summer. The bugs are going to be back. So, yeah, it's it's a shame because these blights are getting really, really bad. I mean, I just talked about chestnut and how excited I was to work it and how sad it is that, you know, even though some people say chestnut is making a comeback, you know, the reason chestnut was so incredible because the tree grows so big, mm-hmm. huge, huge diameter logs, long, straight bowls. Well, the chestnut you get now that has been, re, you know, that that isn't been reclaimed, that's been grown since the blight, it's skinny, scrawny stuff comparatively. So, yeah, it, it's a shame because the ash tree is the same. It's a big tree, nice straight bowl. And as that gets killed off, who knows, mm. you know? So Crazy it's all very stuff. sad. Crazy stuff. All right, let's get into our email. We got a bunch of stuff here. Email and voicemail, actually, just a mix. Uh, first one I have here is from Mike. Very quick question. He says, I realize it's kind of a first world problem, but what type of festal sandpaper do you use? Well, we established, uh, be- bedazzled is one of our favorites. Bedazzled. Julio Iglesias. <laughs> uh, he says granite or Ruben. Now, if, uh, you're familiar with, or if you're not familiar with the festal line of abrasives, they always have goofy names for them. Uh, and granite. Yeah, it's like somebody who, who learned to spell using hooked on phonics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Granite. It's so weird. So, Ruben, <laughs> Ruben is the red one, and that's the one that they typically ha- have sold for raw wood. Uh, and then they had Brilliant, which is one that they kind of sold for higher grits, a lot of times for sanding finishes. And then they came out with Granite. It was like a great all-around, longer-lasting, almost a replacement for Ruben. Uh, and, and I've actually used it quite a bit, and I like it better than the Ruben material. I still have some of the Ruben, but it's only because I, I already have it, and I'll be using it until it's gone. From now on, when I buy this stuff, I probably will just exclusively buy the Granite type. I don't feel the need to buy anything else, and they've got a nice range of grits. Uh, lasts. I find that it does last longer. It's a, a really good sandpaper. Um, so, And it's, by the way, Granite is spelled G-R-A-N-A-T, just because. So, so that's my recommendation. I might be the only one here who even uses Festal sandpaper. I'm, I'm assuming, right? I use it. Oh, you do. What, what, what do you wind up using? Granite all the way, baby. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I bought the that ribbon when I started. I'm like, this stuff's crap. Give me that granite. <laughs> Give me <that> granite. <laughs> Screw you, Ruben. Oh uh, my god, that's some good stuff. That's right. <laughs> All I, right, Matt v. I forget so much all that all the fun stuff with the sandpaper. All right, let's move into this next one. Uh, it's called a uh, wood movement fallacy. Mm. This is from Shannon. Well, Shannon, not that Shannon. Shannon. Different Shannon. Yeah. Oh, oh. a different Shannon. Well, it's no, 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 no. The, the one I sit in was the wood movement fallacy. Oh, that was my question. <laughs> Zing. Well, let's talk about that one. Oh, <laughs> all right. So, well, this Shannon is asking or actually is stating planning on building a, a low boy. I almost said cowboy because I was thinking about <laughs> Matt Cremona's just recent trip down there. There you go. But he's uh, planning on building a low boy and wonder why folks go to such lengths with breadboard ends on tabletops due to wood movement. But not even pause. It, not even a pause is given when putting the side of a low boy, etc. 
The sides of the little boy used tenons snugged into mortises. I really should have read this before I got started. Maybe. It's okay. <laughs> you're you're new like here. Me when I read things. I was going to say, right? yeah. a, a math problem on this show. <laughs> it is, definitely. Uh, so the sides of the low boy used tenons snugged into mortises and glued into breadboards. Uh, but breadboards are slotted, tenons with elongated dowel holes and so on. Tabletops and case sides are the same thing, just rotated, are they not? Is the amount of movement just a function of width that compounds incremental changes? Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the movement is definitely going along the width there. So that's that's one of those things. You, when I, whenever I've been building anything, I always try to think about uh, when I'm putting my components together. How are these two going to play? Like, is this one going to move across the width of the wood in this direction, but the other one's going to go in the opposite? How is this going to happen? When am I going to hear the snap? Because uh, <laughs> just about anywhere you live, there's going to definitely be wood movement of the of the slightest little bit in there. So. Um, yeah, it's definitely one of those. I mean, like breadboard ends, obviously, you're right. You're going to have the elongated holes in there to make sure that it can spread. So regardless of what I'm building, that's one of the things I'm always thinking about is uh, how is this going to snap? How am I going to have to explain why it snapped and why didn't I have somebody else build it? <laughs> yeah. So, Cremona, you are, um, I know, specifically in the guild, a number of times you've built casework with solid wood. Yeah. So what yeah. what is it with case casework that allows you to be confident that those side panels aren't going to warp even though you haven't used some kind of a breadboard attachment? Well, I, I can pure luck. How would, I, how would I specifically answer this question? Yeah. How, well, how's that sound? How about that? All right. <laughs> so for the people that are going to be gluing their case their legs to the case sides, those are the traditionalists because they think you know. The old masters did this way before the new bow wood movement, and the sides right. all cracked. So if this one cracks too, it's just you know it's it's a uh, whatever reproduction of the original. Yeah. So or, I, or I, they say the one I saw in the museum wasn't cracked, and I say yeah, that's because it's in a climate controlled, like hermetically <laughs> sealed case. <laughs> so yeah, there's that too. So like when I built my high boy, I'm like yeah, we're gonna have some movement here. So mine's built with a breadboard and essentially the legs. Uh, are not oh, the tenons and the legs are not all glued. I only glued the top one, so all the movement goes down towards the floor, and the case side stays flush with the top of the legs. So it's essentially a breadboard end where I have the case sides joining into the legs. Mm-hmm. That's the way I did it because I, you know, I understand wood movement that people didn't understand back in the day, and I didn't want cracks but, in my piece. You'll pieces. also find you'll find examples of that in 18th century furniture, like the twin tenon that yeah. is pegged in the top and left well you can't really tell by x-ray if it's left dry or not but you know but still i mean a lot of them didn't care but then a lot of them also you know you could see an elongated mortise on the bottom that directed movement down so mm-hmm. yeah but you know but i also think like the difference between like think of a slant top desk we still breadboard the slant top that's because you put a mortise lock in there and the slightest little warping will cause that lock to jam forever yeah. You know, yeah, you'll man. never get it open. Case sides, who cares if they warp a little bit, right? Yeah. Like if you get a tiny bit of warping, it's not going to affect the function of the case. A dining table, if you get, you know, cupping there, then, you know, you, you set your 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 knife on it and it slides off the edge. Well, we know <laughs> a lot of cupping. That's a lot like, of cupping, Shannon. That's <laughs> a whole lot of cupping. <laughs> so it, it, it's a matter of, yes, it's going to move, but do you care? Like you're never going to stop it moving. Just get over it and recognize that some parts are going to cup and that's okay. 
Yeah, I had a question just recently on, um, I think it was actually on Friday Live, and someone was doing something with a solid wood panel that was maybe 12 inches wide, 40 inches long, and was really hesitant to make it out of solid wood because he just didn't want it to warp and thought that the only way to do this is to add some kind of battens, some kind of cleats or breadboards. And it's like, well... We do those things, number one, stylistically, there's times where we want to do it, uh, but also as kind of a belt and suspenders thing, if something does need to stay right. absolutely mm-hmm. flat, it's nice to add those things, but look around. There's a lot of very large panel glue-ups in most of our homes <laughs> that are just fine. You know, tabletops, yeah, yeah. dining tables, I'm at a desk that has no breadboard ends. Uh, if the material is milled properly and dried properly and it goes through this process of construction where you're not forcing it to do something it doesn't want to do, if the boards are already relatively straight when you get them to your shop, there's a good chance that over the course of the years, it's going to probably stay pretty flat. You know, so I don't, I don't think that the um, the bowing and warping that we talk about is a foregone conclusion. It's not always going to occur. There will be some level of movement. Things won't stay dead flat, but I don't think everything is going to turn into a potato chip if we don't have a breadboard end on it. Right, exactly. You know? <laughs> well, you know, the one thing is with the uh, that bench that I just built, the top that I used for it was this long piece that, like, somehow I have no idea how I got this lucky, but the piece came from the mill pretty much dead flat. So it was just a matter of going in and 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 cleaning it up to the dimensions I wanted. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things is when I put it on there, I'm like, I'm I'm not worried about this going all over the place because it's it's stable enough now. It's dry. It's going to be perfectly fine. Short of like I don't know, dropping it in water and then throwing it on the uh, the front porch or something for a while. I don't, I can't see. <laughs> going all over the place it's there really is everything's going to move on you a little bit but it's it's not nearly as bad as you think it is Eh, maybe it is i'm just lying who knows (laughs) i lied to you (laughs) matt just likes to lie that's what he's here for okay uh let's let's hear from eric ball is a voicemail and he is doing a wenge buffet hey mark matt and shannon love the show long time listener first time caller I am looking at making a six foot by 16 inch buffet table out of quarter sawn solid wangi. I know it's going to be expensive. I know it's, I've heard how hard it is to work with. Um, it will have enclosed cabinets on the bottom and then an open shelf above that. And then the top, uh, that shelf will have a center divider in the middle for support for the top. Um, I've heard it's really splintery and toxic dust and all that. I've read quite a bit about it. Um, I'll always be wearing gloves when I handle it. You know, I've got decent desk collection with a good mask that I'll be wearing at all times. My main question is, with it being quarter sawn and the grain so straight, uh, do I have to worry about it splitting on me when I add some weight? Like, it's going to house, you know, my wine and liquor and things like that, so it'll have some weight on it. I'm just kind of worried it's going to split on me once I kind of load it down. So should I be adding additional supports, like cross-member supports underneath, hidden, um, with like a secondary wood or something like that. That's my main issue. I'm also wondering, I'm assuming like dovetails and that is kind of out of the question with it being such straight grain and uh, splitting, prone to splitting. Um, and I was thinking about using ebonized oak as a secondary wood for it, something really dark uh, so I can lessen the expense where I can. Any other suggestions you could give me, any help you could give me, I would sure appreciate it. I love the show. Thanks so much. Take care. I think what I love about this is Eric's sort of energetic positivity about, look, I know it's going to be hard. I know the dust is toxic. Yeah, I know it's really expensive. I want to like talk to Eric a year from now after this project when he's on the like old grizzled sort of mean side of this thing. Like, what the F was I thinking? I can't believe I did this. This project sucked. Um, yeah, Wangi is tough in large quantities. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. it is something that, uh, uh, you know, working with it is difficult and it's, it's just not that fun. If, if you had to, if woodworking was always with Wangi, people wouldn't do it. It just wouldn't, right. it would be something <laughs> we wouldn't, wouldn't happen. Do. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, I have actually worked quite extensively with Wenge um, in the past. And, you know, it is pretty strong. I mean, despite the fact that you've got that, what he's talking about with the quarter sawing, uh, nice straight grain, I don't think it's necessarily prone to easily splitting. Um, so I think as right. long as he has like a basic, normal, supportive structure on this buffet, I don't think he's got to worry about weight capacity at all unless like he has a extensive collection of cast iron, you know, that he wants to store in his thing, <laughs> uh, you know, cast iron pots. I don't uh, even then I don't know that. It- Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Would be problematic, but I don't think he has his to go medieval His medieval weaponry collection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Got to have a place to put his maces and things. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't... Say he's going to be using it for a bar. So what, what size bottles do you usually have up there, Eric? Are they half gallons, full gallons? Are you like the, mag- the magnum size bottles of wine, right? Is it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, a whole barrel? So I, I yeah. honestly don't think he's going to have much of a problem there. Uh, Shannon, just speaking more from a wood um, composition, you know, sort of, sort of thought with Wengi. Is there something with it that it might be more prone to snapping along the grain than other woods? Well, it's just n- not along. You mean, oh, like a, a well, like because it, because yeah, it tends to be splintery. My, is that also yeah, mean that because, will it? But will I mean, it, I think with with any strictly quarter sawn species that's fine grain like Wengi, it you know it's it's going to be a little bit more brittle. But the fact of the matter is. Not along the grain. You yeah. still got long grain fibers. That's the majority of the strength there. And in, you know, unless you're making your shelves so that the in grain faces out, so you've got cross grain. Yes, that would be weak. But he's not going to. Um, yeah. That would be a really inefficient use of wood. <laughs> so you know, the strength that that would cause those shelves to sag or possibly split is on the actual strongest part of the fibers. There, you're not going to get a lot of stress front to back. You know, even if your shelf is you know, 24 inches wide, which would be a really, really deep piece. You're probably looking 12 to 16 inches deep on those shelves. You're really not going to get a lot of, of stress and it's going to be an even load. Like if you're putting books there, you know, um, it's not like there's this pinpoint of, of stress right in the middle of the shelf. It's evenly distributed from front to back. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is, is, is just listening to him as he was talking about, you know, yes, I know it's toxic and yes, I'm unaware of this. And yes, I know it's splitting. What I'm hearing is somebody that went out and read like wooddatabase.com and read the technical specifications for Wengi and is like, okay, the only thing I would tell you is go read a few more wood species in the wood database and you're going to read the exact same thing. A lot of the same stuff, yeah. <laughs> like allergies and toxicity on wood database, everything is bad. Like everything is yeah. going to make you die if the wood, the dust touches your, your skin. The fact of the matter is if you go and look up an MSDS, a material safety data sheet, there is one. There's one for wood. It's just wood. 
Um, wood because the, the organic properties of wood are so different from one to another that they just rolled it into one MSDS. And if you read the MSDS on wood, you would think that this was like technetium 2000 weapons grade. It's like the nastiest, most fearful thing in the world that will kill you more dangerous than happy fun ball. It is awful. So, um, you know, and you read the toxicity and I just pulled up the wingy one and it's like severe reactions are quite, uh, uh, you know, breathing is, is bad and it's been recorded to cause central nervous system effects. But if you like surf around and look at some other exotic wood, you're going to read the exact same thing. So what, what people don't not, realize is, is the individuals that are writing this database information are the same ones that put the side effects together for most medications. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not to say ignore it. I'm not saying, you know, you know, don't wear a respirator and don't worry. I mean, there are some like if you turn with coca blow, that stuff lands on my skin. I get very itchy and a rash. Coca blow is nasty. You know, um, I haven't had this issue with wingy, mostly just the splinters just get everywhere. Mm -hmm. But then there's a there's a point in here in wingy that also talks about it's prone to splitting. So I'm just I'm I'm hearing I'm hearing that he read this post or something like that. And it's it's just one of those things where this is a guide. Um, I It's good that you're thinking this way, but don't be afraid of it. Um, be afraid of the splinters because it will they will get you. Wingy is just they'll be everywhere. It's just <laughs> annoying. It's an annoying but, wood know, to work with. Wingy's gonna get you. Wingy's gonna get you. Wingy's gonna get you tonight. It's pretty good, Matt. Thanks. I, really <laughs> good. I've been working on it. It's been a lot of alone time in the car. The yeah. yeah. There it's it is. Clearly evident. All right, Cremona, you get the next one. Ah, where the heck are we here? Um, this is from uh, Eddie. This, Hey, Matt, I've noticed in a few of your videos. Oh, wow. One actually directed to me. You got it, dude. That might be like a first. I this did it is on nice. purpose. This is what it's like to be Mark. All right. Oh, geez. Right. You don't want that. <laughs> uh, I've noticed in a few of your videos that you use wet system epoxy and eco-epoxy liquid plastic. Are you just trying different brands or do you use each for specific purposes? Is it better at dealing? Is one better at dealing with air bubbles? I've heard of eco-epoxy or better for thicker applications. Example, filling cracks versus river table. Any recommendations or little experience with these two brands would be helpful. Thanks again and keep the great work. Yeah, so they're basically two totally different products. And like the only similarity is that they both are epoxies. You <laughs> so, definitely want to use West Systems for your river table. You know, that's going to be like a $3,000 river table right there. It's going to be like a lava table, actually, I think, if you use that <laughs> <in> the system. <laughs> so really the biggest cool. difference is the, the cure time on the product. So as we, uh, if you haven't realized this already, uh, epoxy, as it cures, is exothermic and releases heat. And since West System cures at a faster rate, it releases, well, heat at a faster rate. And the hotter the epoxy gets, the faster it cures, faster it cures, the kind of the worse it is structurally. And that's kind of the advantage of the liquid plastic. And there, I mean, there, this is just one specific brand. There's both, there's different brands, different types for both these styles of epoxies. Liquid plastic is a slow cure epoxy, so it has a lot of time to dissipate all that heat and cure at the proper rate. So the wet system, if using the slow hardener, which is what I typically use, will be cured in about 18 hours or so. The liquid plastic takes about four days. Jeez. So you have a lot more time for not only the heat to escape, so you can do really thick pours. I think you can do up to two inches thick with that product. But because it takes so long to cure, you have a lot of time for bubbles to escape, and you can do all that fun stuff to get rid of the bubbles. With the wet system, you're really limited to how thick of a pour you can do. 
probably a quarter inch to play it safe. You can maybe go three eighths of an inch thick. So it's really good if you're going to do if you want to do like a river table where you're going to pour you know inch two inches thick somewhere in there. With Wesson, you got to do like what like four individual pours, which could give you a little bit more of a creative advantage if you want to do some layering effects. You could layer those um, different layers with different colors. You can embed things at different depths, so you have things kind of floating in the epoxy. There's that. Um, that that's that's a possibility there. But floater table. Floater table. I like that one. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to just um, do the pour and just leave it and not have to worry about anything, a slow cure epoxy like liquid plastic is going to be uh, pretty advantageous. It's going to be a lot less work too because with the multiple pours. You got to make sure, like, you don't get any extra junk down in there. Like, if some dust is floating around in the shop, you got to make sure it's all clean. And you really want to, I'm not 100% certain on, like, the bonding between the layers, but I believe you want to get a layer poured on top before it's fully cured so that they'll actually kind of fuse together a little bit. Mm. Um, so that might be a thing, too. You need to be on that <laughs> schedule. So just things to kind of concern yourself with. On the flip side, if you're just filling like a crack, like a small crack or like a void or like a, I don't know, like a bar conclusion or something, you probably don't want to use liquid plastic because I got better things to do than wait four days to fill a, uh, a bar conclusion. Like I want to fill it and use it the next day or something. So a faster curing epoxy is going to be better for that application. Nice. Yeah, you could build a bandsaw mill in that amount of time. Seriously. Get, that's, <laughs> actually, that's kind of sad, isn't it? <laughs> well, you should have poured before you left. You go do the actually. bandsaw mill while you're gone. And when you come I, back, it'll be cured. Speaking of my hand tool cabinet, I did do a pour before I left. Nice. So yeah, I, I came back and was cured. It was That's nice. That's uh, smart thinking right there. I was one, one smart thing <laughs> of the week. Only thing smart I did. <laughs> nice. All right, Shannon, I think you've got the next one. Uh, this is from Dan. He says, everyone always asks, what should their first hand plane be? My question is, how much should I budget to get into hand planes? And that's as just as difficult a question as the other one. Um, uh, What's your budget? Getting into hand planes. I'm going. I'm just going to assume that he's wanting to like go like full bore into this and get into like milling boards from rough all the way to finish. Do it. (laughs) Don't do it. But you know what? Actually, I think I think the answer could be the same. If you wanted to approach hand planes from a hybrid perspective, you know, you're still using a lunchbox planer and and or joiner and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to cut down on sanding. I, I still think one of the best things you can do is throw a jack plane into the mix. And um, I am a big fan of going, you know, getting a good quality plane to start with. If for no other reason than you have a good idea of what it should work like mm-hmm. when it's well-tuned and it's flat and all that stuff. So, um, <clears throat> you know, you can budget for a new Veritas or a Lee Nielsen. What are they now? 250 350 for a jack plane? I haven't bought I one in know. so long. Good question. Well, um, Wood River makes a really good plane. Um, you know, if you're against the whole Chinese knockoff, buying Chinese manufactured tools, it's more of a political statement there. You may not want to do that. Um, I just I'm don't not going to get into that tools. right now. Um, <laughs> I mean, they make a good tool um, and it's a heck of a lot cheaper than the other ones. Um, you know, there are some added features, some fit and finish and slight polish that you're going to find over, um, over Wood River when you buy Lee Nielsen, you buy Lee Valley and, you know, you're buying North American and there's that whole warm, fuzzy feeling there. But, you know, so you could 150 to maybe 350 bucks. Um, and you could get a really, really good, never need to replace it, retire and hand this down to your kids and your grandkids plane that will pretty much do everything you need to do. 
And then you can decide from there, do I like this or am I going to go, you know, screw this hand plane thing. I'm going to go buy some granite sandpaper and move on from there. <laughs> um, you might be able to get Ruben on sale now that Mark is endorsed. Doing that. Yes, of course. Very, very powerful. So, but, but, you know, and then the other perspective, just because people are going to say it, you can go buy a vintage hand plane. And fortunately, if you're buying a Jack plane, there were millions of those buggers made. So you ought to be able to find them relatively inexpensively. And there are, you know, 50 bucks, you know, under that, you're probably looking at issues that you don't want to deal with, like mm-hmm. really cracked soles and really, really out of flat soles. But at the same time, you're going to find jack planes on eBay for $125. And that person needs to take a long walk off a short pier because it's just ridiculous to, to <laughs> ask for that. Unless it is fully restarted and, sh- and, and um, sharpened and ready to go out of the box. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a whole variety of options and hundreds of videos showing you how to restore a vintage hand plane. It all comes down to where do you want to spend your time? You know, do you want to spend a week building a bandsaw mill, basically being a donkey for, you know, Whoa, or being do a you donkey. want to just get to work? Ouchie. What is this? What is this? <laughs> All right, the band song mill plane, you know, get your, your foundry out, start casting the blanks and yeah, there you go. And, yeah. Good Come Lord. on. You know, and, and if you want to if you want to see just how inexpensive a Lee Nielsen hand plane is, oh, do yeah. that. Oh. <laughs> go out and cast your own blank <laughs> and see how many of those mm-hmm. you have to do to get an acceptable, you know, plane sole. <laughs> then mill the thing flat and take off all the burrs. Yeah, and you'll go, "Man, this is a bargain." When you look at, you know, how much a Lee Nielsen plane actually costs and how much it goes into it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a bark. No kidding. So. All right. Sweet. Matt V. All right. Well, st- kind of staying in the, in the line of the, uh, the hand tool discussion, this question comes in uh, from um, a guy. I didn't even see his name on here. Uh, but he was, <laughs> My bad. It, yeah, that one. Sorry. Uh, so, or is it Andrew? Um, anyways, he says, uh, uh, I'm undergoing this woodworking lark, the hand tool approach, and was, I was wondering what your thoughts are on, quote, song to the line. As a weekend woodworker, I get... I don't get much time to practice, but should my goal be able to saw accurately to the line without cleanup? Currently, I saw close to the line and then clean it up with a chisel. This is the safer approach as I can't bugger it up, but it obviously does take longer. So, you know, this is one of those things that regardless of whether you're doing it by hand tool or maybe even like certain power tools, you might actually take it close to the line. My question is, how far away from the line are you? You know, you can get within a pretty decent amount of the line and then just come in and clean it up. And actually, quite honestly, that's the way I prefer to do it is I will cut in a way that the line is there, but I'm I'm as close to it as I can get. So do I have to go to an actual measurement like a 32nd of an inch, 64th of an inch? Mm -hmm. And then I just come in usually and we'll clean up with a a hand plane or or a chisel if that's say I'm doing my uh, doing some dovetails or something. So. I don't think there's any any reason at all that you shouldn't leave the line there and then make the rest of the way there. Just don't like leave a half inch between your cut and the final line. <laughs> that one you might want to maybe work a little bit closer to the line, but you know when it comes to actually cutting directly on the line, um, yeah, I'll leave that to somebody like Shannon. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Well, I think once you get really good at it, you know that's something you can do. But he's saying right. he's he's only in there once in a while. So I think the way you approach this uh, guy with no name, 
because I forgot to copy and paste it in there. Uh, and this is kind of what I do. Like I give myself that little buffer zone and let's say I'm cutting four or five of these. So the first one I'll give myself a little buffer zone Then I might get a little closer. And as I build confidence and I see, yeah, I, like even if you're not sawing on the line, you still have to saw a straight line. And if you can mm-hmm. see that that line is still straight each and every time, well, then you're yep. probably, you know, you could take that gamble, go right on the line and saw straight because you've got the confidence that you can nail it the first time. Um, right. So if you, but if you're not seeing straight lines, then why would you even think about going on your curve line or on your, <laughs> your knife line? Because clearly you're not sawing straight and you want that buffer there anyway. Right. And, then, and you're probably going to spend less time cleaning to the line than having to go back in, get another piece and start all over again because yeah. you got a little cocky there. So <laughs> sure. there is nothing wrong with coming as close to the line as possible and just leaving it there. And if somebody comes along and goes, you should be going right straight to the line you know, with that board. <laughs> right. Well, hey, is, is it my fault that my joinery fits off the saw? Come on. It's I not. Believe, I, believe, I believe it is your fault. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> you made that happen. Is being set by you. So <laughs> my only issue with this, and and I do agree with what you're saying, Matt. My only issue is, is how are you ever going to get any better unless you take a risk? What you is know, this if you're constantly what? <laughs> status quo playing safe. So Mark actually brought up a good point. You know, it, like if you're building a chest of drawers, start with the dovetails on the back of the bottom drawer. No one's ever going to see those. Right. Those could be the nastiest, you know, beaver tooth things you've ever seen. And by the time you get to the top front, it, they're they're perfect. You don't have a lot of time in the shop. I get that. We all have that problem. How long does it take to put a board in a device and with a dovetail saw, if you're saying you're doing dovetails, or you're doing tenons or something like that, saw 10 lines, 10 lines an inch deep. It's we're talking 15 to 20 seconds to do that. You will be shocked at how much better your sawing technique will be after 10 saw curves. Um, sawing dovetails, especially dovetails, um, is not like riding a bike. If you haven't cut dovetails in a while, your dovetails are going to suck. You know, unless you're, you know, have had thousands of hours of cutting dovetails prior to that. But even then, you'll find that your first couple of cuts are going to be a little bit wonky and you kind of have to warm up. Just like anything we do, you know, you don't want to, Matt, you don't want to go out for a run right away, right? You know, there's that, there's that first mile where you're like, I hate my life. This sucks. And then suddenly the breathing slows down and you're like, okay, I still kind of hate myself, but I don't want to kill myself right now. You know, there is that period of warm up. The same thing happens with a hand plane, with a chisel, and especially with a saw. The thing is, we have such great saws available to us now. They are precision tools that really, really want to cut, cut cut straight and square it's it's us it's the jackass holding the saw that keeps screwing things up so make so to five, answer your question about how long it takes to cut 10 lines let me tell you so i start i get it li- lined up i get it in the vice i get ready to start going then suddenly i realize the song that's playing on my ipad right now it's not the song i like so i gotta go over to the stereo and i gotta change that so then i come back and i gotta figure out where, where was i standing is this the right spot but now i'm thirsty so i need to go get a drink of water so by the time i get back down i want to start the first cut but then i make that first cut and now I'm thinking I don't like this song again, so I got to go back over and find the next song. Spoken, so spoken like I'm a true hobbyist. Five minutes for the first two good curves. Okay. So enough. you, uh, Matt, you are describing. You're describing the exact reason why when I technically, like, quote unquote, went pro, I got nothing done <laughs> because I came from I came from a hobbyist mindset, and I'm like, I don't understand how to build furniture. Like, what do I do with eight hours? It's like, oh, I actually have to to continue like being in contact with the wood the whole time to get things built. Okay. I get it now. Yeah. It was, that's a, that's a, a great transition to make. 
<laughs> okay, who's next? Who do we got here? Matt? Matt C? I think so. Is that me? Yeah, okay. Yep. Oh, from Matthew. All right. Uh, this is from Matthew. Do you have? Do you guys have any good tips on how to flatten a horizontal log slice? Think of big cookie of cherry. I'm looking to make an occasional table and work predominantly in hand tools. The only thing I can think of is a router sled, but I don't have access to one. I'm trying to flatten out the rough chainsaw cuts to make it flat. So, I mean, you could Ruben do with the yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, uh, you can either do it with your hand plane and get really good at planing end grain. You grab your paring chisel, go to town, uh, grab your belt sander if you got one of those. Or maybe this might be a good project. You just, uh, you know, go buy a router because, good God, if it's a big cookie of cherry, you're going to do it with a hand plane? Mm. All end grain? <coughs> I don't know. Shannon, you're the hand plane man. Would you even, what do you think about this? Hand planing a cookie. Yeesh. Oof. In the flat. Ass. Well, I mean, of course I would do it because I, I know you would. You're router, crazy. But, but I mean, I think I think it, the answer is not. In this, I mean, yes, a router would be the one tool and a sled. You could knock that out. Um, I think it's a multi-tool approach. I mean, you could actually really take it pretty flat pretty quickly using a hand plane as long as it's sharp, you know, but you don't want to use a block plane on it. You want to use a bigger <laughs> hand plane that has some mass to it. You know, depending again on how big the cookie is, but this is an opportunity to, to maybe pull out that, you know, number eight joiner or at least a jack plane. Um, you can plane in grain pretty effectively, and it will at least remove if you're just kind of spot planing it, pull off the really nasty high spots. Mm-hmm. So then you can go back with, you know, that belt sander and refine it. Um, but yeah, if you've got the router already, um, but if you, yeah, I don't know, it's like how far out of flat. I mean, it really depends on how far out of flat this thing is. Like, I've seen some cookies. Yeah, I mean, that if he's talking pretty... chainsaw marks, that could be... <laughs> That's going to be a lot you know, of work. Quarter-inch washboards there. When I, when I think of this cookie that he's trying to flatten, I'm thinking he's got to take at least a quarter-inch off each side, is yeah, what well, comes to my mind. If at it's least. off a rough rough chainsaw cut, yeah, at least. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah, a lot definitely of want to use some 60-grit no granite. granite. Yeah. Throw some granite on your hand plane. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there we go. Hey, isn't that what uh, Vanderlist did to the soul? <laughs> Matt, didn't you do that back in the day and make your uh, banana-shaped uh, soul when you tried to reflatten your your hand plate yep. that one time? That's when they were, they were first bringing granite out, and they said, "Hey, can you give this a shot on yeah. a project?" And I'm like, "I got these hand planes. Let's well, try this. Let's do this." <laughs> All right, so we got another uh, voicemail here. This one's from Barry, and he's got a problem with some bushing schmutz. As we do. Hey guys, this is Barry from the southwestern part of Virginia. I have a question and a little bit of kickback. I'll do those in reverse order, though. The kickback is a few episodes ago when you were talking about how you know things had changed over 10 years, there was not nearly enough discussion about the Golden Girls, and I'm <laughs> deeply disappointed that you didn't go off on that tangent because, seriously, it's the Golden Girls. Please discuss. Anyway, my question is this. It's probably mostly for Shannon because I know he does a lot of these types of projects for gifts and so forth. And it's anything that I turn on the lathe that has bushings. So obviously those bushings are made of metal. And when I use a light-colored wood, what I often find is after I'm done with my final sanding and I'm ready to put a friction polish on to finish it off, I get the bushing schmutz, whatever, into the little grain of the wood and it ends up making everything look dirty. Uh, I've found a few things that sort of help, but nothing really that does a great job. So I'm curious, with lighter woods especially, how when you're doing a finish of friction polish or something that's rubbed on while on the lathe, do you keep the lighter woods looking clean? So I know it's a pretty simple question, and I'm sure there's a really simple answer. I just don't have it. (laughs) So please, (laughs) thanks a bunch. 
Appreciate you. Take care. And Shannon, you want to enlighten him? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is pretty simple because this happens to all of us. Always, 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 as you're friction polishing, move from the wood to the bushing. Don't go back. Um, and that's that's the issue is you, you kind of want you you've got your your cloth or whatever it is. And you're kind of rubbing back and forth. You always want to just do move in one direction, you know, from the center of the of the blank off over to the bushing. And that way, any of the schmutz is just carried off the other way. Then you come back to the other side and you go from left to right and just move off in one direction. Kind of like, you know, planing ingrain. You don't want necessarily you want to try to avoid going right off the end of the ingrain or you'll spelch out the end. The other solution there is because um, some of the, some of the woods it just doesn't matter. Like having the schmutz even close to it, it like it's like capillary action. It like sucks it in there. <laughs> or if you're using Paduke. <laughs> the Paduke dust gets everywhere. That sounds crazy. Um, the, yeah, I, I swear it's like it's like dye particles. The maple. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, the other thing you can do is you can uh, actually make bushings. Like um, buy some. Uh, well, I mean, you can go to the turning supply places and they make these like polymer cylinders that you can actually turn down. Turn a conical bushing. Um, so for the really, really, I really don't want to mess this up. This is beautiful quilted maple or whatever. Take off your metallic bushings and put in the little conical ones. They actually sell them too, made for like CA finishes where they're, they're, um, like ethylene conical bushings so that you don't glue your, your blank to your bushing. Hmm. I've never done that <laughs> when you do a CA finish. Um, but I mean, the, the easiest thing is just always be wiping off the blank and you carry the schmutz off and away, and you do have to change. I always use blue shop paper towels for that stuff because it's really easy to, like, fold it over and get a clean side, and then if it gets nasty, dirty, just throw it out. Um, you got to kind of keep replacing that so that the towel itself doesn't get the bushing schmutz on it. Mm-hmm. That should be an official term. But, yeah, bushing just always schmutz. wiping off will fix it. If you really have problems, use a conical <laughs> bushing, and, heck, you can even turn one out of more maple if you mm-hmm. want because maple – if you're, you won't get bushing schmutz off of maple. True. You know, this reminds me of uh, changing my daughter's diaper. There's always a particular direction you're supposed to wipe. Oh, boy. There's always bushing right. schmutz. You got you to gotta be careful to not put the bushing schmutz in the wrong direction. Yep, that, that can be a long-term effect. Matt, if you have a girl coming, you're going to know what I'm talking about. Yes, yeah, this is a problem. Like, I don't know anything <laughs> about girls. It's not, not that different. They have different plumbing. But altogether, <laughs> you must know something with a third one. On the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Okay. So let's get to the next one. Um, this is our last voicemail here from Marin. You know, funny thing is this was the first voicemail to come in. I think the voicemail came in before our hiatus announcement came in. So this no. email has been sitting there for a couple months. Uh, so sorry about that, Marin, but, uh, hopefully Hope it wasn't urgent. <laughs> yeah. She's probably already Hope you're not pinned under anything heavy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey guys, it's Marin from Utah. And here's the thing. I look at finishing products and I read lacquer. Awesome. Lacquer. I can do that. Then there's pre-cat lacquer, which I assume stands for pre-catalyzed lacquer. And what's the difference between lacquer and pre-catalyzed lacquer? Oh, and then there's varnish. Cool varnish. I can use some varnish, but then there's conversion varnish. And I think, what is it converting to? Did it join a cult? What's the difference between conversion varnish and varnish? And then there's oil finishes. And, ooh, polymerized oil. What the fork is polymerized oil? And how is it different from just some regular oil finish? Like tongue oil, which, of course, tongue oil finishes are not tongue oil 
but come on, can you help me with the sciencey terms here? I have no idea what they mean. So yeah, I find this to personally be very infuriating uh, because the chemi- the chemistry of this stuff is super complicated. There's terminology that's used where sometimes they'll refer to something as a varnish or a lacquer, uh, and then they add the word conversion to it. And what does that mean? Something's clearly, like she said, joining a cult, uh, or something is transforming from one thing into another uh, through the process, you know, the curing process or the chemical reaction that's taking place. So uh, there's no way we're going to be able to demystify this topic, um, you know, unless we do an entire show on this. One thing I will recommend for Marin is definitely get yourself one of the classic woodworking books if you're looking for a foundation on what some of these you know, purely by definition, what these things are, but that is not going to help you through the marketing speak. There's so much marketing speak in this uh, that when you read the labels and you read what this product says it is, you have to dig deeper to find out if it actually is what they're saying it is. Uh, So one of the things I'd recommend you do, I don't know the type of work that you do, but if you're not really doing professional level stuff, you may not have to worry about two component finishes, conversion varnishes, catalyzed lacquers. That's kind of next level. Those are really intended for high solids applications, things where you really want a lot of solid material left on the surface that builds quickly and uh, provides a, a really durable surface. But they also bring things like uh, a lot of nasty fumes. They're not really easy to repair, um, but you know, and you have to have a, a spray environment to accommodate these kinds of finishes. So I think if you're really confused by it, maybe start by not worrying about those, uh, because you could you could really simplify things by let's just focus on things like oils, varnishes, oil varnish blends, uh, shellac, and standard lacquer, nitrocellulose lacquer. If you reduce your scope and then understand those things, then it's not so hard once you start to you know delve into some of these other two-part finishes to understand what those finishes are doing. Um, one thing I can quickly answer for you is the difference between a regular oil, like a pure tongue oil or pure linseed oil, and a polymerized oil is simply a heat treatment. 72 hours. Yeah, <laughs> possibly, <laughs> yes. Uh, so a polymerized oil is something, it's going to actually look and behave much like a pure oil, uh, but it has had a heat treatment, and it supposedly will dry a little bit faster, maybe a little bit more durable. Um, it, honestly, with polymerized oils on the market, I see no reason to even bother using unless it's a cost savings thing to even bother using like a pure oil that hasn't had the polymerization. I think there's only benefits and no drawbacks that come with the polymerized stuff. Uh, the polymerization is the heat treatment that essentially is what they would call cross-linking. All right. So you have like single molecules joining together uh, to become polymers and it makes it a little bit stronger. The way to think about this, a good analogy is have you ever had like a cooking oil and a hot pan just used repeatedly um, and and the oil actually with the heat treatment of, of being cooked on, it becomes impossible to wash it off. Like yep. we, we've mm-hmm. got a couple of baking pans that have had this happen where the oil and the fat from the food, um, no matter how, like eventually it, you just cannot wash that stuff off. And that's a polymerization from a edible oil, which is kind of interesting to think about. So that's what that polymerization is doing is giving you something a little bit more durable. Um, but again, I'm just going to recommend getting one of those books if you want more of that sort of background education. But even then be prepared for uh, just to wade through a bunch of crap. <laughs> because a lot of this stuff, it's just, it's, it's so confusing. And I like to think that I know a little bit about it. And I look at this stuff sometimes and I'm like, Oh man, they're, they're so, yep. this is so deep. 
that I can yeah. tell you, I know very, very little, little about it. So I feel very comfortable with what the little bit I know. Wait, does that, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> I'm not sure that makes any it's sense. Little, it's a little <laughs> off there, Matt. Yeah, it's just maybe I've been sniffing too much of it. So let me yeah, ask either, any of you guys, is there any sort of little tidbit about finishing that you discovered, you know, in your travels that, that simplified things for you as it re, re, like re, in regard to terminology? Only use armor seal. Done. <laughs> Find one, finish, and stick with it. Uh, I'd say only use Endurovar. <laughs> All right, whatever. Um, only use the one thing you're really good at and you understand completely. There, there you go. go. Exactly. <laughs> That's it. Well, a lot of things are like that in woodworking, like sharpening, right? If you keep yeah. moving from one sharpening system to another, you're never going to oh, get yeah. great at any of them. And guess what? They all work. So, right. like, what? find one. No. And, yeah, they Scary do. sharp is crap. <laughs> I kind of agree with that, but anyway. <laughs> let's just let's just anger a bunch of people while we're at it. Is that because the you're only, using granite? Yeah, right. The, the only thing that I've come to look at is I break them into two things. They're either film finishes that sit on the top, or they're penetrating finishes that soak in. You know, and yes, there's some gray area where it does a little bit of both. You know, it's low viscosity film finish, but I just you know I think of lacquer and varnish and shellac as film finishes. They're going to build up, you know, a, a layer of something on the surface. And I think of just pure oils as a penetrating finish. So mm -hmm. if I want to, you know, increase the, the depth and the luster and maybe pop the chatoyancy, I will use a penetrating oil. Um, or in like outdoor furniture, I, I know that if I use a penetrating oil, it's a lot easier to replenish that year over year because I don't have a film that I've got to that could possibly get water on it and flake off and stuff like that. So I just really generally think of penetrating oils or penetrate. See, there I did it. Oils. Penetrating finishes or film finishes. It's one of the two. Yeah. Well, and things get even more confusing now with um, the growth and popularity of hard wax oils. So where yeah. does where does Rubio yeah. Monocote fit into this? Where does Osmo fit into this? These are the things I get these questions constantly now, which is why I'm using these finishes a lot more because I want to actually have practical experience with them to say, here's what this thing actually is in layman's terms. Wow. Yeah. So back so to Matt's point, just use up. the same one. Yeah. Well, the thing is, though, if you were to take a traditional knowledge of finishing and say, what is a hard wax oil and answer that question, you would probably give the wrong answer. A lot of these new hard wax oils are not simply oil and wax. The way that they work, the way they behave, the way you apply them can be very different. So it's a different beast. And I think that like that traditional knowledge of like the classic paradigm of woodworking finishes that some of us learned from books like Jewett and Flexner, that will work against you if you're trying to analyze some of these newer things. They may not necessarily prepare you for what these things are doing. There's just some weird new stuff happening. So that that and the sizable attitude in Jewett and Flexner's books as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's 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 not only the marketing speak, but then there's the grizzled old finisher speak. Yeah. Don't use that. That stuff sucks. That stuff's garbage. <laughs> yeah. Well, I understand that point of view. As the show goes on, uh we become those people. So it's you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just the way it's a natural evolution of things. All right. Well, I think that actually does it for the show. So speaking of natural evolution of things, uh let me just uh Cut right to the chase here. This is the last episode of Wood Talk, and I didn't want to mention it at the top of the show because I didn't, I didn't want it. Oh, I, I should have warned you, you guys. You mean, I, you mean I'm out of a job now? So surprise, <laughs> surprise, guys. Uh, this is the last show, and no, this is not a joke. It's not a prank. It's certainly not April 1st. 
Um, this is just something I didn't want to do at the beginning of the show because I didn't want it to weigh down the entire I show. Been a good idea to wait until April first. It would have been, and then people <laughs> would hate us because they'd be like, "Wait, you guys aren't actually coming back." <laughs> Um, so, so here's the thing. Um, I understand the gravity of a decision like this, and this decision is all me. Uh, this is something where over the past few years with two kids and, and less and less time in the shop, I really have to think about where I want to put my time and the things that I want to work on. Friday Live is now this whole other thing that I can't stop because Nicole's involved and she'd get mad at me if I stopped doing that. You know how that goes. Um, but yeah, you no, have a whole flock of ducks going over you if that was the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, that's an inside joke. Inside joke. <laughs> uh, so, so honestly, there's a lot of other things that we're doing that are keeping me very busy. Um, and you guys, anyone who knows the show knows that it's kind of been on the line for a while. Last year, it was, you know, Matt and Shannon basically convinced me to, to, to try another year. Uh, we did that, <laughs> and I'm, I'm just at the point where after 10 show or ten years, 10 plus years now, and what's uh, what's the show number today? What are we on? 456, I think. Uh, 455 shows plus weekend shows and, and all the other weird ideas that we came up with that never stuck. <laughs> <laughs> Add all those shows together, and it's a long time, and I'm just kind of ready to, to, to move on and move my focus to other things like uh, one of my big things this year in 2019 is to produce more classic Wood Whisperer content, not Guild content, just free site content, and I really want to uh, spend my time on that. So I, I'm personally ready to move on to the next thing. Um, I can't say that Matt and Shannon share my desire to do this, but they're not giving me too much crap about it, which I appreciate because I think they understand where I'm coming from. Nice. Well, I, I think, I think it's a bit of a fallacy to put this all on you. I mean, yeah. um, cause we hardly fought for it <laughs> this time. We fought for it a year ago. <laughs> you did give me pressure um, last time. Yeah. And, and, and to be, to be fair, Mark basically said, okay, so you guys can carry on without me. And Matt and I kind of, you know, virtually looked at each other and said, do you really want to do that? I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, it was, it was hard enough after Vanderlust left and we got so lucky to find not only somebody else named Matt, but someone else. Terrible with names. Yeah. But you know, the, there's, there's no denying that the fat, the, the fat, the, no denying <laughs> Whoa, easy. the fat. He's right here. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's no denying the fact that Cremona was a perfect fit and he he fit in nicely in, in Vanderlust shoes. So it was able to keep the show going. If Matt Cremona wasn't there, we would probably have been having this conversation. How long ago was that? Five years ago? Yeah, that it would have happened a lot ago. sooner for sure. Yeah. This show exists because of the chemistry and the hosts. And the thought of not having Mark in the mix, even though according to iTunes, why have him on the show in the first place? <laughs> yeah, go read our reviews. There's a good one there. You know, call it lazy, going out and trying to, you know, hold auditions is the first mind. We're going to hold auditions, Matt. Come on. We're going to start together. We need to send in your audition tapes, people. No. We just, we just, and it could only be a Mark with a C, not a right. K, because we're not going to go that direction. Yep. Can't change anything. The fear is that the show would just suck. You know, and that would be the lasting impression, you yeah. know, so let's just pinch it off, people. Pinch it well, off. You know, and, and for me, off to the side, I'm like that force ghost. I'm like Obi-Wan Kenobi trying to yes. like get him to come over there. <laughs> like, you know, come on, Yoda, get over here. Let's come on, go. It's so. fun not doing the show. <laughs> well, and actually, speaking of, of Vanderlist, that is the reason why I wanted him to guest on this show, because I wanted the, sh the show to include all original hosts who, who had a role in making the show what it is today. Um, so it, it kind of sucks that we didn't get you on before this point, <laughs> Matt, but uh, I'm glad you were able to make it for the last one. 
and that's not a problem. I'm happy to bookend the hell out of this. So this is this has been great. <laughs> yeah, and I got to tell least, you, you know, like at least this... our voices sound a lot better. You know, our our, our balls have dropped, so our Maybe. voice is a little bit deeper. We're hey, not reading off of a script. Maybe we're just a little bit older. Oh, I mean, really, we should be going back and listening to the first episode today because, wow, some of those are bad. Yeah. Hi, this is Matt, <laughs> and I do my fake my fake laugh. <laughs> that's right, Matt. Um, yeah, this is Wood Talk. Yeah. So anyway, this, this has been an incredible 10 plus year journey for me. Um, it's, it's allowed me to really forge friendships. And honestly, the funny thing is, you know how it is, you get a little bit older, especially if you move a couple of times, you don't generally make friends very easily, you know? And it's great in the woodworking world. We have lots of virtual friends, but it doesn't always afford the opportunity for close relationships to build. And this show has done that with with three other people who I now consider really good friends and real life friends uh, who I who I don't hate in person, who I could actually <laughs> have conversations with. And you know, honestly, if I was ever in any of your towns, we it would be weird if I didn't like stop by and and we go out and have some dinner or something. Um, yeah. So this is it's been great in that regard for me. Um, the inter- Interaction with the audience. Anytime I go to a show or AWFS, IWF, things like that, one of the most common things that's said to me is how much people love this show. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things that makes this the most painful for me because I know how I enjoy my favorite podcasts and how heartbreaking it would be for me if some of those were to just stop for whatever reason. It would just, uh, for a selfish reason, I would be very upset by it. So I realize a lot of people will be um, upset by the show just not continuing. But also, if you're a but at least we're doing a last show, you know, instead of just fading. <laughs> yeah, yeah you just many, not How many of your favorite shows have just pod faded? And you yeah. just wonder, you know, do I keep the yeah. RSS? Should, Should I stay I subscribed? <laughs> Maybe it'll come back one day. Yeah, just in case. Well, and what I'm going to tell you with with as far as it goes with that stuff, I always reserve the right to get a bug up my butt to have a creative idea and to do something new. I don't. I can't say that I will never podcast. Uh, in this sort of audio format again in the future. Uh, the website will still be up. Wood Talk will be there. We are taking the Patreon stuff down. I do not want to continue taking donations for a show that isn't even live. <laughs> that just doesn't feel right. In fact, I, the, the uh, Patreon page was taken down last week. Um, I'm not sure anyone noticed, but uh, you, you can't actually join the Patreon campaign for that reason. So the, you know, the website will still be there. I will continue to maintain the database. The RSS feed will still be there. I maintain all that stuff. Um, and who knows? Something may happen in the future, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily stay subscribed just in hopes that the show is just suddenly just going to pop back up like, ah, psych, change my mind. Um, This will be the last entry in the feed uh, as far as I can see for the near future. Right, because if you were to start a new podcast, would you actually use iTunes anymore? You know what? I mean, Probably uh, just because by habit I would, you know, like it <laughs> to pay homage to like the old way of doing things. Uh, but you just you kind of don't need to anymore, huh? Right. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So look, I wanted to give one last chance for everybody to go around, say uh, where they could be found. Cause here's the thing, the show may be stopping, but that doesn't mean we're all disappearing. Everybody's still going to do what the same stuff that they did before. Um, of course you could find most of my stuff at the woodwhisperer.com. Uh, the Woodwhisperer guild is where we have paid courses. If you want to get deeper into this stuff, uh, of course I've, I'm active on Instagram sort of, well, things copy over to Twitter. So I guess I'm there. Uh, but you can find me at Wood Whisper on most of those things. Uh, and, you know, Friday Live is a fun live show that is sort of a cousin <laughs> to Wood Talk, just <laughs> in the sense that it's just a bantery, uh, sort of informative, talky-talky kind of thing that I do with my wife, Nicole. We do that every Friday. Um, and that's really about it for me. I got a new book coming out. 
that's going to be pretty cool. Essential Joinery, look for that in March. Uh, but let's go around. So, uh, Shannon, where can people continue to follow up with you? Yeah, without, you know, my Friday afternoons being taken up with Wood Talk, I actually may be able to publish something to the Renaissance Woodworker <laughs> YouTube channel. Yeah, boy! <laughs> I can now dedicate Fridays to filming content for the YouTube channel. No but, excuses now. Know, yeah, right. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll launch a warring Friday Live, you know. You should do and that. I'll, I'll, I'll lose, but, you know. Just call it Friday now, Afternoon so, Live. Friday Afternoon Live. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so certainly renaissancewoodworker.com is still alive and well. Um, and like Mark said, one of my goals for this year has been to try to get more out over there because there's, there's a lot still to be said. There's a lot of projects still to be built and stuff that just doesn't belong in the hand tool school read another way. I don't want to go into so much detail. <laughs> I want to be lazy and just put out some projects. So renaissancewoodworker.com is still there. Um, the hand tool school or handtoolschool.net is, is where I am most days. Believe it or not, I actually do put out a weekly video over there that has tips and all that fun stuff. Stuff that used to be on the Renaissance Woodworker is now, you know, under the, under the guise of the, the, the paid membership site, <clears throat> new projects and all that fun stuff coming out over there. But I'm also on Instagram. You know, a Renaissance Woodworker on Instagram. In fact, uh, you also can find me at McIlvain Built on Instagram because I just launched a new um, oh, oh, channel I didn't know about over this. there. That what, what is this? Is showcasing more finished projects. Uh, head over there. How come I just found both now? Nice. Because it just happened in like the last. Well, that should have been in the What's New section. All right. Well, sorry. Dang. <laughs> Go back in and edit it again. You can uh, do that. Okay. Let's let's do that. <laughs> So that, I mean, I, I've been showing, I've been showing finished projects on my Renaissance Woodworker Instagram and probably will continue to kind of cross promote there, but we're just getting into some really cool stuff now with, we bought a new millwork house. We've got a lot more functionality and capabilities. And so I just want to show off more glamour shots. So I decided I might as well brand it appropriately. So you'll find that there. If you want lumber industry updates, guess what? <laughs> there is a whole website dedicated that's my day job so you will find <laughs> stuff going on over there as well as soon as i do the site redesign you can find me at mcelvain.com so but you know i'm not going anywhere i've mm -hmm. been been doing this for 10 plus years don't plan on going anywhere and i actually have an idea for a podcast oh boy oh, oh boy oh no stay tuned mark i may need that lumber industry update jingle yeah i'll, I'll send that to you man it only cost me five bucks so it's yours sweet i'll give you seven okay that's good nice. yeah it has appreciated in value so it's very yeah, important you got to flip those things okay good deal uh Come all on. right give us your your digits oh man i'm gonna miss you guys dude you can just text me yeah Seriously, we text like all day long. What are you I know about? that. I'm okay. aware of that. I'll but still it's be totally here. different being able to actually talk to you like with your voices and stuff. No, I agree. I will miss it. There, there's a degree of this that I will absolutely long for. You guys yeah. should just Marco Polo with each other. <laughs> yeah, we got we got a mark. Poke each other on Facebook. <laughs> How about that? People, people still poke on Facebook. Let's do that. I don't, you, I gotta, I gotta poke the other day, and I'm like, where the hell did this come yeah, from? Yeah, I don't know. The people are still poking. All right, good right. to know. I don't know where I go to do that anymore. <laughs> it's very difficult. It's a hidden feature. Uh, but hmm. uh, Cremona, where are you? What are you doing? Where can we find you? Uh, you can always find me and everything I do over at mattcremona.com. You can hit up my YouTube channel. I'm there, Matt Cremona. You can hit up my Instagram or Facebook or Twitter at Matt Cremona as well. You know, I'm over in the guild with Mark doing the, you know, instructional, trying to teach people how to do woodworking thing. Yeah. You know, that thing. Which, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's my life, I think. I'm out there. Just Google me. 
I'm the, you'll find me. He's everywhere. You, you can't everywhere. You can't go on the internet and not find him. I don't, I'm not on 4chan right now, though, so that's I'm not probably there. good. <laughs> All right, Vanderlist. What about you, man? I know, uh, well, like you said, you're not doing a whole lot, but wh- where can people find you if you do something? Yeah, so when I do my yearly video, you can still find me over at mattsbasementworkshop.com. But I am definitely going to suggest when you go to the website, I have to make a slight tweak to some of the ads that are there. Scroll past so the ads. scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. <laughs> and then you'll eventually find the uh, the videos. But if you want to click on those links while you're scrolling, I'll yeah, totally exactly. accept that. So <laughs> you know, we can do that. Uh, of course, I'm over at Facebook and, and Instagram. And uh, lately, you can usually find me in just about any American airport wandering around aimlessly looking for like a taco joint or more like a like a pretzel so that's awesome you know, and if you do come up to me just you know say hi and please will somebody for the love of god take a picture with me because nothing <laughs> is worse than when they go oh my god it's matt from mass basement workshop hey i just want to say hi shake your hand and i go well you want to get a picture and they go no why why would i do that <laughs> well, you gotta have proof man you gotta go back to the wife and be oh. like someone just recognized me look yeah. Right, exactly. In fact, actually, that happened. Was it about? Was it two years ago, honey? We were flying through Charlotte, and somebody came up and said, "Oh my God, it's Matt from Matt's Basement Workshop." And I just looked at Sam, and I go, "See, it happens." And I asked him, "Do you want to get a photo?" He goes, "Nope," and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to waste the film, even though it's not film. Uh, exactly. So you know, let's not uh, let's not understate how much content is is still at mattsbasementworkshop.com. If there's any person on this planet who I who I would say would compete with me as being one of the first online podcaster, video podcaster people, it's Matt. I'm still not sure who actually put the first video out, um, <laughs> but both of us were back there in 2006 plugging away when nobody cared, nobody was watching. Um, so the amount of stuff that you, you still have in that archive on your website, um, it's a treasure trove of classic, you know, chortling good stuff. So, oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. I've gone through it a couple times recently and I'm like, yeah, I can't get rid of this. This is the classic things that people go, why do I watch this? Yeah, I mean, it's hell? all the old stuff. Same thing with my old stuff. It makes me cringe every time I see it. But yeah, I just don't have the heart to be like, yeah, let's not watch that anymore. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's part of the history of this whole thing. Exactly. Especially when we got that really cool editing stuff. And we're like, watch this. I can do a ripple transition. Yeah, watch. I'm going to slide you right out. Ooh, Star Wipe, Star Wipe. Yep. And then we discovered music. And, and, and the then lovely had a- clipping with Router Bit of the Month. All <laughs> <laughs> the distortion that comes but There was no microphone that, that could handle, handle that. The Spoken Wood Podcast. Oh, yep. I remember the Spoken Wood Podcast. It was good stuff. It's still one of the most popular things out there right now. That's amazing. <laughs> really? That actually yes. was one of the better ideas you've ever had, Matt. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else kind of sucked. That one was all right. Exactly. All right, well, I'll, I'll take that and I will run with it. Yes, I have to agree. Well, I mean, compared to the Daily Matt, come on. <laughs> like any daily show is just a bad idea. A yes. really bad idea. All right. Well, I guess we could probably reminisce all day here. Um, let's let's pinch it off, as Shannon would say. And um, you know what? Hey, it was a great run. I learned that by watching you. Yeah, thank you. That wasn't actually from Nicole. Uh, it's her, one of her favorite things to say. Um, you know, it was a great run. It was a good time hanging out with you guys. Uh, you know, we learned a lot from the audience and just answering questions, researching, you know, which we do sometimes do. Uh, trying to find a good, accurate answer helps us become better as woodworkers. So I wanted to thank the audience who's participated uh, all this time and asking questions. And just honestly, the only reason that we did this show for this long is because there was an audience there who wanted to hear it. Uh, so we really appreciate that. And uh, just personally, I'd like to thank you three for tolerating me and my snarkiness uh, and doing the show with me for so long. It's been uh, a wonderful ride. 
as, as Cremona would say, we're all here to learn. To, to learn. learn. Just here to learn. Some great <laughs> moments. You go to college for? Oh, to learn. <laughs> <laughs> that was just the best. I, I was here for fame and fortune. And then it just never happens, unfortunately. <laughs> it's oh, coming. Wait, it's coming. Hang someday, on. someday. <laughs> all right. Now, well, now that the show is gone, it's going to be worth something. You watch. <laughs> it's going to go up in value. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll catch you next time, only in some other format. Not this <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody, and take care. Goodbye. See ya. See ya. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.